from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Earwicker, and we're back again with Pastor Steve Mickle. Hi, Steve. Hi, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah, summer, it's great. summer is in full swing. Love it. Uh, which around here is a great thing. A summer of, in Bend, yeah. Kind of well, a big deal, huh? A lot of tourists heading into town nowadays. Yes, there are. So. What's, your, uh, what's your favorite summer Bend activity, Pastor Steve? I love running. Well... I like being out on the trails, and yeah. I prefer to run them than walk them. Okay. So that's probably <laughs> the better answer. <laughs> I hate running, so yeah. it makes fun of us. I'll ride my bike around, and then when I, uh, when I have run or walked, it feels so slow. Like, yes. are we still trying to get oh, to this really? point? Yeah, just the difference. I've actually ran with you, Evan, Yeah, and it's good that you're riding instead, yeah. of, <laughs> instead of running. <laughs> You know, it's funny, Steve, because people have told me that about multiple activities. Like, I've golfed with you, and it's probably good you don't golf. Oh, my gosh. Well, I want to golf with you then. Let's go. Yeah, you probably feel real good about yourself. (laughs) I need something to make me feel good about myself. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I've ran with your brother. How does he do? Brent. He's he's good. Yeah. 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 yeah, he he ran uh, track in, yeah. in high school. Yeah, our missionary in Uganda. You kind of look like a runner, Evan. Why uh, don't you run faster? I, I'm not. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> As Steve can, can attest be deceiving. To. <laughs> so how many listeners have we lost? Yeah. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> and most, that's most enough. Of them, okay. Most of them. All right. So we're talking this week about your message on uh, gratitude and entitlement as seen through the lens of the Psalms. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I think it's a popular topic about entitlement, especially with millennials now coming of age um, a group that stereotypically gets kind of an entitlement label. Oh, make big time. Yeah. So a, a great topic to discuss and really seeing gratitude as kind of that antidote to entitlement. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I've wondered why the millennials have gotten such a bad rap with entitlement because as I researched it, everybody that grows up in this nation typically has a seed of that, you know, in them. It's not just the millennials, it seems to me, you know. You've uh, been a missionary. How does it How does it play out? How does entitlement play out in non-first uh, world countries? If you, if they're dependent on the West for resource, then they become, they do have that entitlement. But it's interesting, mm. we breed that. Mm. But if you go into a new place, they haven't been, um, you know, influenced that way then there's not a, as big of a sense of entitlement by any stretch. They are happy with what they have, if they have anything, you know? And so that, I think that's probably wise. We, we are so affluent here that we expect to have everything we need and more. And where in other countries, they just, they, they, they hope they get what they need. What's that experience been like for you going as a missionary to a lot of other places and then coming back and really living in the American culture again? Because I've had a lot of students go away, whether it's just for a missions trip or for a long-term something, maybe with YWAM or something like that. And there's a lot of difficulty for a lot of them to come back and they feel all of a sudden that American kind of entitlement that they didn't really notice before. And they, a lot of times, get really resentful toward the American culture and just want to leave again. Right. But they just find it hard to exist back here. What's that experience been like for you? Those people that do come back, because I have experienced that. I've come back and I've been really mad at my nation. Yeah. But then I, I'm right back there, you <laughs> yeah. know, a year or two. And yeah. the same people, you know, that have are frustrated end up right back in it. And I think that's the thing is that for, for us is trying to allow those experiences to impact here because we, we shouldn't like, oh, bemoan the fact that we're, we have more. 
well, we have more for a reason, so let's use it for God's purposes and try to do some good in this world, you know? And I think that, rather than like, well, I got to just be poor. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we live here. There's a a reason God put us here, and it's not just so so we're good. It's so we can be a blessing to others, I think. That's such a good way to put it. I've had a hard time communicating with students sometimes because I haven't had a lot of that experience going abroad and doing a lot of those kinds of things. And, you know, just to have the conversations of like, you know, I, I feel like I need to rip my clothes for this $3.50 coffee, you know, that could buy all these meals for the, it is, it's a tough conversation. Yeah. And how does, uh, kind of the, the prosperity gospel, um, preaching that is, I mean, was a a big thing specifically geared towards prosperity, I think a couple decades ago, but now still is present. I mean, a lot of popular, uh, you know, evangelical, uh, circles that, that we are, you know, close to. Um, how do we how do we find that balance of uh, God's blessing um, and the the prosper, prosperity that He brings to a blessed life without becoming you know so obsessed with that 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 is the point? Mm. A lot of times, the prosperity gospel preachers are very much about making themselves prosperous, not so much about making their communities prosperous. So that right there, you've got a you know, like people are like, wait a second, I'm not into that. But interestingly, the prosperity gospel really works in poor places because people want and need so much that when, when a preacher comes in and says, hey, God will give you what you need or what you want, then that's like really compelling. And I think that, I think it's really thrived there. And, and unfortunately, um, God, the scripture doesn't back it up, yeah. uh, nor does experience back it up. There's a handful of people that get rich through the prosperity gospel. The rest stay poor, and I think it's 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 done damage. But on the flip side of that, we have to believe that God will provide for everything that we have. But the problem is, is we can't tell Africans, for instance, hey, you just need to pray and believe. We actually need to get active and say, you know, I'm making quite a bit more money than and everybody listening to this podcast is making a lot more money than, yeah. than, than people in third world countries. Let's give a little bit of that mm-hmm. to help um, bring some hope and help you know, to places that don't have as much. So we've got a clip that we're going to play here in just a second, and it's really going to help us launch into more of this, because I want to have this conversation about millennials in the church or entitlement in the church, and because uh, really it was a, a lot of the background and basis when it came to what we were talking about in teaching team meetings and a lot of that stuff. So let's go ahead and listen to this clip, and then we're going to jump into more ben, of that Let me just say with this clip, this is Louis C.K. being interviewed by Conan O'Brien, and entitlement comes up, and we were going to play it on a weekend, and so this behind the message. We decided um, this, this clip came up at the first discussion of this message and then we cut it and I just I felt like it wasn't didn't have enough broad bandwidth for yeah. every generation to grasp um, there's some bleeps and things like that you know <laughs> and then uh, but we felt like it was perfect for this podcast so all right let's take a listen because when I read things like the foundations of capitalism are shattering I'm like maybe we need that maybe we need some time where we're walking around with a donkey with pots clanging on the sides you, you think know? that would just bring us back to reality? Yeah, because everything is amazing right now, and nobody's happy. Like, in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. We had a phone that you had to stand next to, and you had to dial it. Yes. You, you realize how primitive... You're making sparks <laughs> in a phone, and you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more... It's like, oh, this guy's got two zeros. Screw that guy. Why do I want to... And then if if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself. 
And then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank for when yes. it was open for like three hours. You had to stand in line, write yourself a check like an idiot. And then when you ran out of money, you'd just go, well, I can't do any more things now. <laughs> right. I can't do any more That's things. That's it, yeah. That was it. And even if you had a credit card, they, the guy would go, ugh, and he'd bring out this whole shunk, shunk, and he'd write, yes. oh, cruddy, you'd have to call the president to see if you had any money. And it's all true, kids. You phone. had to call the president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now... In the 21st century, we take technology for granted. Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the, on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots that don't care, because this is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh, it won't... Give it a second! Give, it's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light too slow for you? Yeah. I was, on a, I was on an airplane, and there was internet, high-speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane, and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet. And it's fast, and I'm watching YouTube clips. It's, I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down, and they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bull****. <laughs> like, how quickly the world owes him something. Yes he knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right, right. And on planes... <laughs> flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. <laughs> right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero that you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, oh my god! Wow! Yes! You're flying. You're, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's right. Now, now Louie. But, but it doesn't, it doesn't go back a lot. <laughs> and it's, and it's not really, little... you know, here's the thing. People, like, they say there's delays on flights. Delays, yeah. really? New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years <laughs> to do that. And a bunch of you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. <laughs> now you watch a movie and you take a dump in your home. Yeah. That's wow. Great. One of my favorite clips I've ever, I've ever watched. It's ever pretty seen. awesome. Yeah. That's for sure. And it makes sense why probably not for the weekend to show that but <laughs> i was tempted yeah it's funny though it's a little convicting though right yeah. like i've told jokes about the harshness of air travel from the platform before you know yeah. and then he talks and you're like all right well maybe yeah. it wasn't that big of a deal <laughs> there's such a normalization i think of wherever whatever level of luxury like you live in it all of a sudden becomes normal and then yeah. you feel entitled to a little bit more it's yeah. a little bit more. Just constantly. a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the things I've been kind of convicted of, and you know, as I was preparing for this message, is just being satisfied, mm. um, content 
with what I do have, um, and maybe even a little bit less. Um, and so that we can, you know, we can be maybe a blessing to others. And I think that, um, cause it is, it, it feeds itself. Um, our economy feeds itself Our so you get something you want, you just want more. It's just the nature of, of, you know, our, our psyches, I think. And I think the church plays an interesting role in that as well. Cause I think about this sometimes and think, well, you know, gosh, we should be grateful for what we have, especially God's people, you know, in the church. <laughs> and yet, you know, our ministries are going out and, uh, you know, we've just recently completed a family survey to make sure that we're kind of satisfying or helping people's needs or maybe meet, trying to meet some unthought of needs before. And okay. Papers to sign kids in, not so much, but we got to get some iPads out there. And do we have enough cookies for the people on the weekend? Because there are <laughs> yeah. cookie people and they are important. <laughs> people. And and so, you know, we have this conversation that I even look around the church and, but not just what the people that are coming, but I think about us and we're going, okay, well, let's meet these needs. Let's make sure we're meet, meeting these needs that aren't absolutely necessary, but they become important to people and thus they become important to us and we spend energy on them. Yeah, how much do we fight the consumer attitude within the church and how much do we feed it? Hmm. Um, and it's how much really should we, question. you know? It's a really good question. I mean, and now we're kind of fighting culture as well because, you know, let's say, oh, let's just turn off the AC you know, right. and save a little bit of money. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, and there's a great church down the, down the road that people will start exactly. attending that have air conditioning. I mean, it's just silly things but like that. But that just is indicative, I think, of the society we live in and churches are caught up in that. And I think we have to do some things. You know, yeah. um, to to meet the needs of people and to have the opportunity even to share the gospel and and get them in the door, so that maybe through time over time they'll be, you know, we'll all be transformed um, to be more grateful people. Yeah, talk to us about that more. Just the the function of thankfulness, gratefulness, in fighting this mentality in us. I don't think we can fight it in culture. I don't think we can come again. I mean, our whole economy and everything is based on people being consumers. Right. I think it's a dead end to go out and try to change the nation to be not consumer. But how do we change that in us? Yeah, I mean, grateful for what you actually have and not always wanting more, just being very satisfied with what I have. I think that's the starting point. I think, you know, it's a big leap to go, well, you need to start getting rid of stuff so that you can give more away. That That's a different conversation. But for right now, for me, it's just like, I just want to be satisfied with what I have. I don't need the latest this or that. I don't need the nicest car. I don't need the, you know, I don't need to go out to eat every, you know, every weekend or, you know, these kinds of things. I think it's it's just being grateful for the stuff that we already have. So we talk about millennials in the church and I'll be the first to say, and I am a millennial <laughs> that uh, the millennial generation is an interesting one to me. And maybe it's just cause we're talking about it so much. Millennials are the butt of the most jokes and you know, they're always on Facebook and they walk around with their faces and their phones and all those kinds of things. Um, I do think that there is a level of entitlement that I'm not really excited about in my own generation. And I think the first time I really experienced that um, we had a guy named Jack Lewis who lived on our church campus growing up, um, who was a World War II vet that watched the flag be raised at Iwo Jima. He watched it happen. And I was, and Jack was kind of a crotchety old man. <laughs> and I, I was like, man, Jack scares me. I don't really like talking to Jack that much. And yeah, well, he was a war guy, whatever. I remember I watched Saving Private Ryan and actually watched, you know, the, the beaches of Normandy and watched everything happen. And I was brought to tears and immediately when I got back to the church, went over and I said, I am so thankful for you. I didn't know. I had no idea. 
and it, it brought something to light. And of course, a movie can't even capture reality as well, you know, and and it just completely shocked me and completely turned my life around. Um, so I think there is a level of, of we don't understand as well in the millennial generations, maybe some of the war generations or some of the things that a lot of the, the generations have been to in, within our nation. Um, but at the same time, I don't view millennials as something that is completely to give up on or that just doesn't care about community. Yeah, so that's what's the your thing, view on That's the thing I don't like is that when people outside of the millennial generation decide to get on the bandwagon of giving them the hardest time of any other generation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even, I feel really uncomfortable with that. I think it's wrong. I think churches are doing it. Businesses are doing it. And, they're, and eventually they're going to hurt their, themselves by right. doing that very thing. Um, but I, but it's also, it's better if it comes from within a generation. If, if major cultural change needs to happen in one particular generation, there, you might have a, a prophetic voice outside of that generation speaking um, to it, but typically change comes from within. And so if there's millennials out there that are just tired, like you're saying, Ben, of the entitlement mindset that mm-hmm. their generation has, that should that should come out from, from within that generation. That's where real change will happen. Um, and every generation has their thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that needed to be adjusted and changed, you know, and so... I think uh, one of the encouraging signs, I think, for millennials that I've been seeing is uh, a trend uh, towards downsizing, uh, towards focusing on experiences and um, you know, even travel over possessions and gathering things. So even that gets made fun of, though, <laughs> like the tiny yeah. house generation. Like, <laughs> I flip crap at the, at the tiny house people. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But I think there's some real positives there yeah, to totally. say we're not going to become obsessed with the biggest houses and the most boats and the most cars. Yeah. Um, yeah, the millennial to... generations are, sorry, Evan, is, are by far the most um, outward focused generation. That, totally. That, I mean, they are, they are concerned about the other. Um, and maybe there's selfish reasons in it. I don't know. But when I look around, I see activists. I see people who want to change a society for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that gets lost a lot of times in the narrative of, you know, and they do get made fun of for everything. And I think we need to, rather than doing that in the church, we need to like lift them up as examples for a few things that are like really good that we're not doing in mm-hmm. other generations. Um, we could take an, an hour and talk about the boomers. We could take a, another, well, probably only half an hour and talk about Gen Xers. We, <laughs> your we really your have, generation. We really yeah. didn't have anything wrong Yeah, with they're this, kind but, of forgotten, right. aren't they? <laughs> the perfect generation. Yeah. There was the greatest generation, Just, now your generation's the perfect Ooh, no, generation. I would never say that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so true, though. I think there's so much activism. There's so much going on in the millennial yeah. generation. And it can, I think the difficulty, as with anything can, it can become a little bit self-righteous sometimes, which can annoy other people or other generations. But I think there's something to be said for the people that are just like, look, I'm not obsessed with, you know, how many car garage I have in the square footage of my home and the the amount of money in my pocketbook. And we preach this all the time from the platform. Yeah. It's yeah. not about how much money you have. It's not about your status. Yeah. It's about this relationship with God and furthering the kingdom. And I believe that there is a, a foundation in the millennial generation that has the potential to do that, you know, in a, for lack of a better term, in a better way than maybe we have before in the church. Yeah. And I think every generation can be grateful for what they have rather than always like, well, thanks for leaving me 
with how many trillions of dollars of debt are we in now as a nation? Mm-hmm. I think every generation has the potential of going. I'm really, I'm really grateful for where we are in our in our moment of history, um, rather than the kind of negative, like mm-hmm. you know, anti this, anti that, uh, coming at it from a positive. Like, man, this is a great opportunity for the millennials, for my generation, and etc. I mean, it's it's a great time to live, and yeah. I think if people, if 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 uh, every generation, especially millennials, can kind of switch that and be grateful for what they actually have and the opportunities that they have. They don't have to get stuck in a, in a nine to five job like the boomers felt like they had to. I mean, they have so much, there's so much innovation happening, so much creativity, so much opportunity out there. And so it's just, and I, but I, when you hear, but when you know that, and then you hear the millennials or any other generation whining or complaining about what they don't have, yeah, you just start to get a little, you know, people can get a little irritated. (laughs) Yeah. How, How do we, um, move away from focusing, I think, because I think in the church, you just talked about, um, you know, how we preach. It's not about the size of your you right. know, bank account or size of your house or whatever. And yet, I think even in the church, we do celebrate success. Sure. We do celebrate people who have made it. Um, how do we balance that out to where if someone says, you know, I'm not going to be concerned about uh, going after that career and making that much money, how do we still celebrate, you know? Well, that, you can't, it's celebrating somebody that says, I'm just going to live in poverty. That is that really worthy of celebrating? Okay. Are you mother Teresa? That's worthy of celebrating. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would actually say somebody that's successful. I'm saying that in quotes, uh, in the eyes of the world, should we actually celebrate that again? What are they doing with the resource that they've been given? Um, are they grateful for it? Are they leveraging it? And are they generous people? So people that live like in poverty in intentionally, with this tiny houses, great. Yeah. But are you doing anything <laughs> else? You know that's yeah. bettering. I mean, okay, yeah, you're bettering the 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 um, you know the economy potentially. You're bettering you know nature, all of that stuff, um, environment. But um, are you helping somebody else out? I think that's it. It's it's what are you what are you creating? You're trying to create this resource no matter what you're doing. And some people have the job and they have the business and they have the whatever. They're generating a resource that is finances or maybe even a big house. I love knowing people with huge houses that have tons of money because they <laughs> the the ones that I really love invite me over, <laughs> you know, or they they use it for ministry yeah. and, and ways like that. I think it's awesome, man. Build all that money and then be generous whatever you with with whatever you have. And I think you know kind of the a tiny house or whatever, you know, I'm going to live in, in poverty. Okay. Well, you're going to live in poverty. You are harvesting time now. What are you doing with that time? <laughs> right. Are you using yeah. your time just to beg for a little bit of food that day or using that time, you know, for like the mother Teresa kind of example, she harvested all that time to, to use it, to, to help people, yeah. to help the orphans. People get stuck. People get stuck when they're not grateful, when they're not thinking about what they actually have. They'll get stuck in cynicism and criticism of everything. And I've, we've seen it. We've seen people that that's their life. That's their story. And there's such a better story to have mm-hmm. if we, if we approach life with, with gratitude. Last year, I preached a message, um, along these same lines about gratitude, or I think it was Thanksgiving actually. Um, and I, I really felt convicted, uh, because, um, with the Affordable Care Act, it had come out and I was on the bandwagon with a lot of people grumbling about it, complaining about it, you know, saying, oh, this is a terrible thing. Uh, but the reality was um, my wife was diagnosed with cancer um, in the same six months period when that law came into um, law, when that 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it was passed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was the passed. Affordable Care Act was passed. <laughs> yeah, and so um, actually, uh, she wouldn't have been able to switch onto a plan that would have worked. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. It changed her whole ability to get the treatment she needed, and yeah. I was convicted because we were reaping the benefits of that during her time going through treatment, and at the same time being like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's just terrible." <laughs> and so, actually, I I wrote a, a letter um, to President Obama. Um, not that I thought he would read it, but just as an act of, I'm going to be grateful hmm. and hmm. express um, because I want to be the kind of person that doesn't just say, here's all the negatives, here's my cynicism all the time, but here's why I'm grateful because it matters. You know? Yeah, that's right. And there's and ev- there's brokenness everywhere in in government and philosophy and in, in policies. There's brokenness in every system. But if we focus on that stuff, we don't get anywhere. It's just like a merry-go-round, and it's it's just a life filled with negativity. And I, and I, and I'm refusing to live there. I there's too much to be grateful for, um, and 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 it's too easy to go to the negative. It's just too easy. And yeah. that's what gets ratings in yeah. media and culture, right? Is how vicious and negative and awful can we portray things? Because that's what people click on when there's a conversation to be had. I think, especially with the political climate the way that it is, I've been trying to leverage that climate as an opportunity to actually talk to people about things. And I've heard stories from people and cultures and different colors and creeds. And I've heard stories that I have never ever heard before, and I have understanding that I've never ever understood before. Not that. Uh, some of my political leanings have changed a little bit and different things on different policies, but I haven't had this wholesale change, but I'm listening to people like I've never listened to people before. And I really believe that that's a Jesus thing. Mm -hmm. So really I want to ask both of you guys where, and, and if if I'm a millennial that has come to Bend, Oregon, why do I fit in at Westside church? I think millennials have an opportunity to engage in mission at our church and other churches, I, I pause a little bit with the question because right. it's a bit self-promoting and like you know. But I would say I would answer. I'd be better able to answer the question with Big C Church. The millennials um, have given up on church in a lot of cases because they're not into supporting the institution of church, um, and I don't think they should be. I think what they uh, what their generation brings to the table that's reminding us is the mission of God trumps everything else. And if we can stay on mission um, with what he has for us, then um, we've got something. And I would say to the millennials about our church and about other churches in town that are really, you know, they're progressive, they're moving, they're, they're active, they're involved in the community. Um, these are churches that you can find a place to belong and discover what you're actually gifted mm-hmm. and wired to do. And there's nothing better uh, than, than to live in that. That's good. And I would I would invite millennials to really shape the church. I mean, come in and shape the future of, of how the church operates and how we uh, reach out into the community um, and how we think uh, about these issues that are so important to um, younger generations. Um, I think it's a mistake for millennials or any generation uh, to look at uh, the church and say, well, you know, that's just how they are. I'm not going to participate. I'm just going to lob mm-hmm. criticism from afar. No, come in. Come in yeah. and let's let's have the hard discussion. Let's wrestle over things that we disagree on. 
and let's see positive change come, but not from the outside. Right. Come in and, and join this. And there are several churches in town, um, Westside's one of them, that's open and interested in that conversation. We're interested in having uh, dialogue around issues that we don't all agree on. And maybe that the church has been on one side of that argument for decades, and now we're saying we're, we're probably still there in terms of our theology in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but we're open to the dialogue and discussion. The millennials are coming with another perspective um, that both can help us, and I believe churches like ours can help them find their way through the complexities of really big issues that we're facing in yeah. our culture now. Um, and so I think that I think the church can be a place of dialogue mm-hmm. um, around. It used to be that way. Um, I mean, monasteries used to be places of dialogue and discussion about uh, big issues. Um, a lot of our theology came from those places. Um, and now we're realizing, well, we need to be a little more connected to our community and culture to have those discussions. And the millennials bring that. And I think that's a big Deal, and I think that maybe that's what I was getting at with the, with the initial question. That this is going to be a place where we are willing to have the conversation, and we're going to be willing to let the different perspectives shake up what we're doing as a church. And I think to be ready for that, and to have a, a group and a staff that is willing to see the vision behind that, and have the understanding that the formula of maybe the '80s and '90s, kind of that, at least I was brought up in a lot, was you know you gather as much of a crowd as you can, you have a building project, you build said building, and then you wait for the next one. I think building projects will still happen. I think a place to meet is still absolutely important, but I think a lot of that formula as we used to know it is going to be shaken up a lot as kind of the generation comes. And it's amazing to me that people, I mean, almost every month I get a note or a letter or somebody comes up and and talks to me or Facebook message from somebody that saw a message that I preached from almost four years ago, and it's Mm -hmm. the same message that comes up every time Somebody's, I'm really loving your church. I love what you're standing for. And it was, what would Jesus say to Ellen? Right. That, it's yeah. amazing to me because it was, a, it, it, was a, it was kind of our first foray into culture yeah. in a way that was open and honest, um, and we didn't have all the answers. And I think the, the millennials especially are like, I dig that. That's awesome. Yeah, let's talk about what's really going on. Man, that's, that's so good. I love yeah. that. In the last couple of minutes we have, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about um, our participation in what's going on in uh, northern Uganda, South, uh, South Suzanne? Yeah, we, we mentioned it this last weekend. It's a big, big deal. There's a famine. 20 million people are um, suffering right now from starvation. Uh, many are only getting one meal every three days, um, and so people are actually dying. It's the biggest um, famine um, since the one in Ethiopia um, 20 some years ago, 30 some years ago. And it's five times worse than that one. So it's a wow. big deal. And, uh, and so we're involved with, um, our disaster relief branch of our denomination. Um, and they have people on the ground right now, um, providing food. And so we've, we're, we're donating money right now, um, to that. And then, um, trying to get in touch, in touch with them to find out how, uh, you know, what are some other ways we can partner with them? Our, our missionary in Uganda, Brent Earwicker, sent up three young guys to one of the villages in northern Uganda. It has 270,000 refugees just in that one village. Wow. And uh, and so they're looking at how they can also participate in that. So we're going to put all the pieces together and see um, what are some other ways besides um, giving money. The nice thing about giving money in this situation is that we know the people and we know where the money's going. A lot of times when you when you hit things like this, you're not quite sure, is the money going to actually get there? Is it going to be stopped at the border? Is the food actually going to get in mm. because we have people on the ground we have we have a lot of confidence um that that uh, 
the resources are going to get there. So we're involved in that. It's called uh, Project Nourish. Um, is the uh, and it's all all the information's on our website. So a few quick stats on that. Uh, it says here that one person is fed for a month for about nineteen dollars. Yeah. Uh, earlier this week, Westside Church sent ten thousand dollars on behalf of the church. Yeah. Or feed to feed 526 refugees this coming month. Uh, the hope of Westside Church is that we give an additional 30,000 between now and the end of September. So it, it, all that stuff's available online, westsidechurch.org. Do we have a Yeah, I think it should be that? up by now. I think all the slide, all the information should be up there. And there's ways to give um, directly to Four Squares Disaster Relief to the actual Project Nourish um, without having to go through Westside. That's great, too. Okay. Um, and so there's, yeah, all that information's there. And also links to find out more information about what's going on. Yeah, great. Um, and actually, I'll be in Uganda uh, with my brother in August. It might be cool to do a yeah, podcast right. uh, about this issue while I'm over there. So maybe amazing. stay tuned for that. We'll uh, see if we can put something together there. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, but... All right, Steve. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. I think it's a valuable one and something that we can all do better in and being grateful, being thankful, and fighting the sense of entitlement. Um, Next week, we have Pastor Corey. He's going to be speaking on lament. Check that out. 